0: Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana.
1: Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. Today we have two readings, one from Matthew and one from Isaiah. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 Pray then like this Our Father in heaven heaven hallowed be your name Isaiah 6 chapter 1 In the year that king Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and in the and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood the seraphim each had six wings and the with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, 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 holy holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched his mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. The word of the Lord.
0: Well, good morning. Again, we are uh, progressing through our series called As It Is on the Lord's Prayer, which is living in the vision of Jesus. Probably you're familiar with this image now, but the idea is that the Lord's Prayer gives us a clear vision of what is heaven. And when Jesus prays on earth as it is in heaven, he is calling us to desire, to live, to pray for it to be here as it is already in heaven And so as we go through this this prayer, Jesus has given us the spectacles to see what it is in heaven, to see what our vision for earth is to be. We focus on that idea of living in the vision of Jesus as we start going through these six petitions that Jesus gives us. Each of these petitions describes what we are to pray for and what we are to live for. So we come to that very first petition of the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be your name. And as we come to this petition, I want to ask a few questions of you. What is your consuming passion? What is your life purpose? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What excites you and drives you? Is it your job? Is it your kids, is it your family, your hobbies, your toys, your sports team, your politics, your church? Most of us have something that drives us, that gives us ambition, that we are pursuing. Why? Why do these things drive us? Why do we put so much energy and investment into these things? If you look at all the things that you might, might list as, as your consuming passion, your job, your kids, your family, your hobbies, I think if you're old enough, if you've had a few years, you come to the point where you realize all of those things, as good as they are, lose their luster. Something about each of these things just kind of comes up a bit short. We may invest ourselves in our job. We may put all of our energy there only to find that we got chosen for the layoff or we didn't get selected for the promotion or our work for one reason or another didn't stand up. You think about even your kids, a noble thing to have as our purpose and our passion, but then you become empty nested. And then you wonder, well, what's it all about now? All of a sudden, these things that become our passion, they lose their luster. They do not sustain. Now, there may be other people who maybe you have gone through being a passionate person or maybe have never been passionate about something, although I think every one of us driv- drives for something. Yet maybe you are here today and you have lost your passion. The idea of a consuming passion is a strange thing to you. You get up every morning with no sense of purpose. You get up without any idea of what you want to do with your life. Maybe you have gotten there from disillusionment. What you cared about disappointed you. Maybe you have gotten there from discouragement. What you put all of your energy into just came up short. Maybe today you are afflicted with apathy. The easiest way not to be hurt is just not to care. And so you are living a life of apathy, of passionlessness. Either way, our hearts seem to be wired to be driven towards something. If we have come to apathy, we have come to apathy because the passions that have driven our heart have disillusioned us or discouraged us or disappointed us. But there still is that drive to passion. In the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, our priorities are tested. Our passions are tested. Our affections are tested. Our view of what is good and beautiful is tested. When we come to the Lord's Prayer and we pray, Hallowed be be thy name, this petition comes to us with a careful ear to listen in On on the secret tune of our hearts. When the Lord's Prayer listens in on your heart, what does it hear? The Lord's Prayer also comes not just to listen, but to ask us patiently, but also relentlessly Are you living for what lasts? Are you living for what can truly satisfy you? The first petition also calls us to our true purpose. It brings us into focus the only purpose that truly lasts. It presents us the only passion that will truly satisfy our heart. That passion, that purpose, is the glory of God. How do we know that this is supposed to be our true purpose in life? Well, first, the author of the Lord's Prayer, the author of this petition, is also the author of your heart. He knows the tune that our heart was made to sing, because he put it there. Second, our Lord Jesus, who made this petition for us, also lived this petition himself. Hallowed be thy name was our Lord Jesus' consuming passion. Listen to John chapter 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, Jesus says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus here is burdened with the last week of his life, knowing the cost that was going to be laid upon him to fulfill his life's purpose, his life's passion. It weighs heavily on him. But as he reflects again on what is his purpose, what is his passion, Father, glorify your name, he finds strength. He is willing to lay down his life for this purpose. And so it is our Lord's purpose and passion. It also must be ours as well. Living in the vision of Jesus is is about making our life about magnifying the name of God. As we look at this first petition in detail, we are going to see that hallowed be thy name presents the purpose of every person who has hope in the world to come. We go through this petition, we are going to see the three ways that the Lord's Prayer focuses us on God's glory. And if you have a handout in your bulletin, I'm going to go ahead and give you the blanks. The three ways the Lord's Prayer focuses us on God's glory. First, it focuses us on the magnitude of God's preeminence. It focuses us on the magnitude of God's preeminence. Second, it focuses us on the magnificence of God's holiness. And third, it focuses us on the majesty of God's name. So let us go through this petition piece by piece to see the three ways the Lord's Prayer focuses us on God's glory. Well, let's look at that first one in detail. The first way, it focuses us on the magnitude of God's preeminence. The first thing we need to notice as we come into the Lord's Prayer is the structure of the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus introduced the Lord's Prayer, we said last week, he introduced it as a model prayer. He said, Pray then like this. What he meant by that is, this is the format, this is the structure that ought to model and shape our prayers. It does not mean that every single one of our prayers should be restricted to 57 words. It means that our prayers ought to have this shape about them. And what is significant about how the Lord's Prayer is shaped is where it starts. Hallowed be thy name. There are two sets of three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus shows us In those two sets of petitions, what is the concern? In the first set of three, God is the concern. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It is only after we pray those three petitions that we turn to food and forgiveness and things like perseverance. So the structure of the Lord's Prayer says right at the beginning... What is our focus, what is our priority, are God's concerns before they are our concerns. The Lord's Prayer is designed to reorient us around God's honor and reverence. How drastic is this restructuring? You are to pray, hallowed be thy name, before you pray for food, before you pray for your own life. Before food, we are to be concerned with God's glory. That might sound extreme, but if we go back a chapter or two in the book of Matthew, and we go to the Lord's temptation, and we see that he went 40 days without food or water, and he was hungry, and Satan came to him and said, What's the big deal? You're the Son of God. Go ahead, turn one of these stones into a loaf of bread. Jesus had all the power to take care of his food, his needs. He could have made food for himself. And yet he responded with, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What Jesus is saying there is, satisfying my needs, fulfilling my aching stomach with food, is less important to me than that I live my life in a way that honors and glorifies God. I submit even the pangs of my stomach to God's glory. God has not said I can eat, and therefore I honor his name by not using my power to take care of my needs. The Lord's Prayer is teaching us the same thing. Priority number one, before you pray for your food or before you pray for your wellness or before you pray for your family, should be God be glorified, God be glorified in me, God be glorified in this world. Now does that mean that we can't cry out for our needs and emergencies? No. You can cry out, I need food. You can cry out, heal me or help me. But what is being taught here is that our normal practice of prayer starts with a focus on God and His glory. But I think the Lord's Prayer also reveals something that seems to be quite lacking, not only in the world, but also in the church. Because we come to this petition, hallowed be thy name, and it just seems strange. I think we see secularisms hold upon all of us that when we think about what do I need to pray for, what should I pray about, Hallowed be thy name does not come immediately to our mind. We have lived in a society that has committed to secularism, to a removal of what is sacred, and a focus on simply the here and now, this plane in front of us. We live in a world that no longer looks upward. Indeed, we are part of a church that rarely looks upward. Many of us think about... Being heavenly-minded means you're no earthly good. The mantra of our age is YOLO, you only live once. Who has the time to pray for God's name when you only live once? We live in a world that I think is afflicted with what was described a couple decades ago as the lightness of being. The lightness of being. We have gotten rid of any weighty matters, any reality to heaven and eternity and holiness and majesty. We have taken that all away. We have gotten rid of the ultimate. And all we have to focus on, all that we have to look at are our lives and our diversions and our pleasures. And now those are our God's. Our diversions, our phones, our pleasures, our hobbies, our sports. And we have gone through this for decade after decade, and what do we have but a bunch of flimsy, flaky people? We are stricken with the lightness of being. Nothing really has consequence. Nothing really has weight. Everything is about satisfaction and pleasure, And we are becoming, by our passions, increasingly insignificant people. We are people of leisure. It's only a matter of time before you commit your life to just chasing pleasure and momentary sensations to come to the question of what's the point? What's the point? Is chasing boys or chasing girls really going to give our lives significance when we're 60 and 70? Is a nicer car really going to make our lives feel more important after we've had it for a couple months? Is the bigger TV really going to give us the pleasure that it's supposed to give us, or does it suddenly start looking, Oh, you know, the next one which should be bigger. Maybe that's the problem. We are stricken with the lightness of being, And I would say that many in our society are really committing suicide by distraction. We are working at killing one day at a time because it's empty. So we kill it with all sorts of diversions. But is this just an indictment against our culture? A book by Raymond Pritchard on the Lord's Prayer said this, which was convicting to me. He said, if God answered the prayers you pray today, whose name would be glorified? Yours or his? You see, the, the, the culture, it makes perfect sense that they are focused on themselves. But what's our excuse? If we were to take all of our prayers and get all of them answered, how much of all of our prayers would glorify God's name versus take care of this or that or remove this or that or increase me here or there. Those are convicting words. But we need to recognize as we look at the Lord's Prayer that this petition puts it not only first to show its preeminence, but it also reminds us that this is the only petition that is truly eternal. This is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that we will continue to pray, even in glory. Look at Psalm 29. David writes this, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Who is David calling upon to ascribe glory to the Lord? He's calling the angels, the cherubim and the seraphim and the heavenly beings. He is saying to them in heaven right now glorify God's name, worship God. It is the only prayer that we can command angels through. Angels, praise God. And they must answer, they must respond with yes, because that is the eternal petition that we continually pray to one another. Praise God, praise God. This petition alone has no end, and that is where the magnitude of God's preeminence is shown through it. God is the greatest good. He is the unending good. The reason that we have eternal life with God is so that we will have enough time to praise Him for all that makes Him praiseworthy. His good is unending. Day after day, moment after moment, we will look and we will find new glory in God that we didn't see before. It was always there. But we only, after 10,000 years, got there to say, Wow! Glory to that too. He is the immeasurable good. That is why it is the first petition. He alone anchors the ages with purpose. If we take God out, we are afflicted with the lightness of being. But when we are grounded in this petition, He anchors our lives. He weights us with significance. When you commit to the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, you are fastening your significance to the weightiness of God. So the Lord's Prayer brings to the fore what is substantial and permanent. I was reflecting on this petition and thinking about the life of the Scott runner, Eric Little. In the 1920s, he was a gifted runner could run like the wind. And he was uh, called to be part of the 1924 Olympics. He was the fastest at the 100 meters in the whole world. It was his gold medal for the taking. Now Eric Little was also a deeply spiritual man, a Christian, the children of missionaries. And so he was this gifted runner, but he was also committed to the glory of God and to obeying God at whatever cost. And so when it came to pass in the 1924 Olympics that the 100-meter finals was going to be run on a Sunday, he said, I can't run. I will not run that race. And he didn't. He missed the opportunity for his own gold medal for his own glory and fame, because he would not dishonor the name of God. He would hold up the preeminence, the magnitude of God's preeminence over his own momentary glory. How much of that spirit exists in us today? We like to get ourselves in an ethical dilemma where we can explain away our obedience, it was just too hard. I had to give in. I had to succumb. But when we are caught up with the magnitude of God's preeminence, that spirit that was in Eric Little becomes the spirit that is in us. It becomes We become consumed with the substance of the eternal, with the substance of God's name, the glory of God's name, and we are willing to compromise and to lose fame for its glory. So we see that the Lord's Prayer focuses on God's glory by focusing us on the magnitude of God's preeminence, but second, we also see it focuses us on the magnificence of God's holiness. The magnificence of God's holiness. What does the word hallowed mean? This is just more (laughs) evidence of how far we have come from the priorities of this prayer that there is a word in this very simple prayer that we don't even understand. It is not part of our language to talk about hallowing God or hallowing anything. The only time that we come across the word hallow is in the word Halloween. It still retains its meaning there. Halloween is about it was supposed to be the eve before we reflected on the departed saints. That, that has been lost entirely. But the word hallow, which we have lost, means to make holy or to revere or treat as holy. And so when we say hallowed be thy name, we must reflect on the holiness of God. This is a prayer not for God to become more holy because that is not possible. It is a prayer for the holiness of God which is there as it is to break in more and more piercingly into our lives. For our eyes, for our mind, for our lives to be more enraptured with God's holiness so that when Our lives are examined in this world, they are lives that show the markings of the holiness of the God we believe in. That is what it means to pray, Hallowed be thy name. It means to be consumed by God's holiness. And there is no better text to get an idea of what it means to be consumed by God's holiness than Isaiah 6, which we read this morning. What does it mean to be consumed by God's holiness? In that text, we see there are are four C's. There's it clarifies, it captivates, it convicts, and it compels. What do I mean by being consumed by God's holiness clarifies? It clarifies our reality. We see in the first two verses of Isaiah 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord upon a throne. When King Uzziah died, that represented for the people of Israel the last hope that the Assyrians were going to be at the door. King Uzziah was the king that kept the enemy from overtaking them. And so when King Uzziah dies, everybody in the nation is like, oh my goodness, we have no hope. The the sky is falling, the ground is shaking, we are undone. And there was great fear, great terror. The people were running in all different directions trying to find security, going after other gods, going after alliances with unfit uh, nations, doing all sorts of things to try and secure themselves. And in the midst of this, God takes his prophet Isaiah, who is visiting the temple, And he reveals himself to Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord upon a throne. God is saying, Uzziah's death, what happens here in this world, what man is afraid of, does not shake my throne. It does not question my sovereignty. I am still seated, still in control, still filled with majesty and magnificence. And so when we grip or grasp God's holiness, it clarifies our reality. The political concern of the day, one way or the other, will not unseat God from his throne. Even your sports team losing doesn't seem to shake God's sovereignty. So when we hallow, it means that we fear God, not man. We fear God, not man. What does fearing God mean? To keep it simple, fear is what controls you. You obey your fears. You comply with your fears. You live your life, much of the time, because... Of protecting yourself from what you're afraid of. Fears control. And the point that God wants us to have is you should be so controlled by my sitting on the throne, by my sovereignty, by my utter control of all that exists, that whatever calamity or disaster or terrifying thing that is happening on the plane of your eyes does not shake you because it does not shake God. To hallow God's name is to live with the fear of God, not of man. The second thing that means to be consumed by God's holiness, it clarifies and then we see it captivates. It captivates our souls. We have the throne room of heaven open to us. Isaiah looks up. He sees the smoke He sees the train of his robe. He sees the temple shaking. And he sees these heavenly creatures, the seraphim, which means they are creatures of fire, floating, flying in the presence of God, right in front of him. And they are singing back and forth to one another, back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The, 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 the earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy is said three times because in Hebrew to make something superlative is to repeat it. And this is the place in Scripture that is taken to the three-peat. Because God's holiness is the most magnificent, singular, amazing thing that consumes us. It is what defines God better than anything else. He is holy, holy, holy. Now I just think it is a wonderful coincidence that when Isaiah came to the temple, the heavens were opened exactly in that one hour a week where the heavens worship God. Isn't that fascinating? That they came to heaven at 11 a.m.? Because you know if it were 12.15, they wouldn't be worshiping. Perhaps not. Perhaps in heaven, worship is not something that we watch our watches about. They are here crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The God who is holy endlessly captivates the angels who have been there for ages and will be there for ages to come. They sing this to one another Holy, holy, holy. Yes. Holy, holy, holy. Yes. Holy, holy, holy. Because they keep looking at the majesty of God and they are captivated by it. Like a, like a, a newly engaged bride or newly engaged woman looking at the rock on her finger. Wow, wow, wow. Except it's God. And that it never loses its luster. So then when we say hallow, we mean to worship and to be in awe of God. Third, it convicts our sins. When Isaiah sees this, he goes, woe is me. The moral perfection of God exposes the defilement of our sin. It's like white balance on your camera. It knows white And as white as you think you are, as pure as you think you are, you're a little yellow. And that yellow is just going to look awful next to the white of God. And so he sees himself a prophet, probably one of the most righteous men in his nation, and he goes, woe is me. He is ready to disintegrate because he is so aware of the uncleanness of his lips, of all the things that his mouth has said that was defiling And he is aware that he deserves to be separated from a holy God eternally. He cries judgment on himself, only on his words. He says, our words, my lips, defile me. Oh my goodness, if the lips of Isaiah defile him and condemn him from the presence of God, how much do all of our other sins separate us? So when we say, hallow God's name, it involves hating our sin. It involves repentance. We quit talking about how close to, to white our yellow spots are and say, yuck, forgive me. Finally, we see it compels our service. After Isaiah has been cleansed of his unrighteousness, he cries to God, here I am, send me after Isaiah was cleansed and no longer was he afraid of God's holiness, he became like the angels captivated by that holiness. And he wanted to live his life in front of that holiness. And so when there was an opportunity to live for the holy God, he said, sign me up. Sign me up. Send me. What drove him? Let me ask you as, a, as, a, as an aside, what makes a parent? What makes a parent? Twelve years ago, I would never clean someone's dirty bottom. I would never clean up vomit. I would never stay up late helping somebody who's got a fear of monsters go back to bed. I just Leave me alone. What maketh a parent? It is the restructuring of our loves and our affections towards the well-being of that child. And now, those sorts of things we do, and even sometimes we say we do them gladly, because our love compels us. Well, what maketh a prophet? What maketh a, a, a man or a woman of God? I mean, there is so much suffering. There is so much ridicule. There is so much struggle that comes with bearing the name of God. And even more to being a prophet. Pro- Isaiah had to walk for years around naked to teach a lesson that God told him to teach. And the only reason I can tell you that Isaiah allowed himself To be humiliated like that was because he was so captivated by the holiness of God that even his shame for being near God's holiness was a worthy thing. And we might say, wow, that's extreme, that's incredible. But when we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, he endured even greater shame to make you holy to allow you to be cleansed and to stand before a holy god and say here I am send me third it focuses us on the majesty of god's name the name of god is yahweh stands for i am it's used over 6000 times in the old Te- testament and it is translated capital ord in your bibles it is the covenantal name of god and suggests Many things, like his sovereignty, his self-sufficiency, his majesty. It is truly a revealed name. This name is a special gift God has given his people to know him personally. And we must recognize that there is, the, there is vulnerability in this revelation. Because now that God has revealed his name, he has entrusted it to us to honor it. And he has also given opportunity For it to be profaned. And we need to think about what it means to honor his name. How we regard the name is how we regard the person. And this reveals the seriousness of our words. This is why our words are not a small thing. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Out of the abundance of your heart, you speak. So let me ask you, what is true of your heart? Hallowed be your name, or making God's name a swear word. Is it, Hallowed be your name, or OMG, this is an amazing cookie. The heart is revealed by what we say. What sort of of God do we reveal? when we blaspheme, when we profane it? Is it a holy God or a trifle that people meet when they hear the word God on our lips? More than our words, our whole life witnesses to the name. Paul reminded the Israelites that their behavior profaned the name of God among the nations. The atheist pro- uh, 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 philosopher Nietzsche said, "Show me you are redeemed. Uh, show, show me, uh, show me that you are redeemed, and I will believe in your redeemer." Raymond Pritchard again had this to say: He said, "All too often we pray so carelessly. Hallowed be your name, but not in my business, but not in my finances, but not in my leisure, but not in my friendships, but not in my sex life, but not in my thought life, but not in my speech." Not in my daydreams. The acid test for conduct, for questionable things, for bad habits, he says, for angry words, for secret sins or bad habits, is this. Could God sign his name to this? Could God sign his name to this? As we look at our life, there is so much blasphemy, isn't there? But God has revealed his name not to condemn, but to redeem. We are told elsewhere in Scripture that God also calls himself the Lord who provides. He calls himself the Lord who heals. He calls himself the Lord is our righteousness. He calls himself the Lord is our peace. He calls himself the Lord who sanctifies. He calls himself the Lord is our banner and the Lord of hosts. In the revelation of God's name, God reveals his plan to redeem. And so when we look to the story of Jesus, we see that Jesus fulfills the name. He is the provided sacrifice that the people need. He is the God who heals by his wounds. We are healed, it says in Isaiah. He is the one whose perfect obedience is our righteousness. He is the one who by tearing the curtain on his last breath is our peace. He is the one who by giving us the Holy Spirit is the Lord who sanctifies. He is the one who covers us with the armor of God and gives us the victory. Jesus is our banner. And he is also the Lord of hosts. The night when he was arrested, He said, I could call upon my Father for twelve legion of angels to come and rescue me. But he refused all his hosts that he might be shamed to make you holy for his God. And the amazing gift, the culmination of the gospel, is that because of Jesus, God writes his name on your forehead and he will never blot it out. You bear the name of God. You bear the name of Jesus. That is the supreme gift. We can only hallow God's name in Jesus. But in the gospel, God signs his name to you because in Jesus, all your blasphemies are canceled. And all his holiness and all his glory which goes into the heavens, is credited to you. How can we not hallow such a precious name? The Lord's Prayer makes the number one priority in the believer's life the glory of God. The first petition focuses us on the glory of God by focusing us on the magnitude of his preeminence, on the magnificence of his holiness, and by the majesty of God's name. Those who magnify the name of God are living in the vision of Jesus and they are experiencing a life that lasts. As I said at the beginning, this petition tests our heart to see what it truly sings about. As the Lord listens to your heart, does it hear it singing, Hallowed be your name? To hallow God's name requires us to encounter God's holiness personally, to know the cry, Woe is me, I am a sinner and to experience the cleansing power of God's forgiveness. This comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Have you called upon the name of Jesus? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus
1: Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.